Good morning, I'm Abigail Pecklow. Please join me in the scripture for today from Ephesians chapter 2, verses 4 through 10. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved, and raised us up with him, and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. This is the word of the Lord. Well, good morning. For those of you, uh, if we haven't been introduced, I'm Jeff, one of the pastors here, uh, the pastor that Joey told you to ignore here for the next few minutes, and then made the mistake of leaving and letting me have the microphone. So uh, pay attention to the intro. If not, use that time to message Joey and tell him to mind his own business. (laughs) At our old house in St. Louis, uh, we had this little concrete patio and and a patch of ground that surrounded it. And uh, it was just, you know, kind of there over the years. It had filled up with some kind of ground cover, ivy or euonymus or something. And uh, I'd go out a couple times a year and take the, the... weed whacker and knock the stuff down and that was basically it you know it it wasn't filled with poison ivy it didn't have thistles in it Uh, so basically kind of it didn't bother me and I didn't bother it and then one year several years ago Amelia and Jackie brought back some strawberry plants and informed me that we were going to grow a garden but really I thought who is this we that is growing the garden And, and what did I just get volunteered for uh, guys, if you're smart, keep those thoughts in your head. Uh, don't, you don't need to articulate them. Uh, but it turns out we got volunteered to clear out all that euonymus, and uh, so I trimmed the plants down to the ground. I got a tiller. I uh, tilled up all the soil, uh, and then I realized we, you know, we needed a way to keep the small mammals out of this fruit garden, you know, like chipmunks and rabbits and kids. Uh, so I went, looked in our basement, we had some old cedar boards and uh, some garden stakes and uh, chicken wire about how does this stuff get in our basements, right? Like, I'm looking at this like, what am I doing with chicken wire in the basement? Anyway, I pulled all that stuff together and uh, made a box out of this, uh, you know, fenced it around and, and it, didn't, it didn't look too bad and best of all, it worked. And... So we enjoyed like two or three rounds of strawberries that first summer. They they were really great. And then we started noticing some slugs were also enjoying our strawberries. Have any of you ever seen a strawberry or fruit that's been eaten by slugs? Uh, It's pretty gross. It's about as gross as the slugs themselves. So we realized, okay, I need to do something about this. I, I had no idea what to do, so I did what any of us would do. I Googled the answer, what, what do you do about this? And a lot of people said, you can actually set a dish down at ground level and put some beer in it, and the slugs will crawl in, and I, I don't know if they get drunk or they forget what they were doing, but anyway, it gets rid of the slug problems. I, may, I heard music coming from out in the garden at one point, I don't know. 
I, I repurposed some beer and put it to good use. So if you're a Baptist, that's good news, right? I found something good to do with this beer. And, and if you like beer, you can be happy I use cheap beer. Uh, so all that happened because Amelia and Jackie and I stepped in. We, we redirected the, the purpose and the usefulness of, of all those things, the plants and the boards and the chicken wire and, and even the beer. We gave them a higher calling. We, we made them serve a, a higher purpose. What does all that have to do with the Reformation? What does that have to do with soli deo gloria? 500 years ago, a former monk named Martin Luther was trying to reform the church. He was trying to point out problems. And, and he said, we, we need to go back to Scripture as our authority and, and look at the patterns that Jesus' first followers said. And and wanted to remind God's people of some key truths that, that had been lost or forgotten or downplayed. And so over the last few weeks, Pastor Tom and Pastor Joey and I have been looking at these five solas, these five key statements that sort of summarize all of, all of those main important things about the gospel that, that we focus on, that, that Scripture alone is our ultimate authority that we're saved by God's grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. And this morning, we're looking at the last of those five solas, soli deo gloria, to the glory of God alone. Now, at the heart of this uh, 16th century controversy over salvation was the, the question of grace, God's undeserved goodness. Now, now everybody agreed that we all needed grace, the question was, how much do I need? Why did I, for example, choose to believe the gospel and become a follower of Christ when my neighbor who heard the same gospel, who heard the same message preached, didn't respond to it? Is it because I was a better person? Is it because I was wiser? I was smarter? I was, I was more righteous? I was more seeking after God than they were? The Reformer said that the reason that we respond in faith is because... God is at work first, that God changes our hearts to make it possible for us to respond to the gospel, that, that God not only initiates my salvation, God is the one who plants the seed of the word in my heart. God is the one who causes it to grow by the power of the Holy Spirit. The, the reformers said, you must be born again in order to believe and come to faith in Christ. Now, that's still an ongoing debate in the church in some ways. That Others would say that, that in our fallen condition, we exercise faith in Christ, and then we are born again. In this view, we respond to the gospel, and, and then we become children of God. Here's the issue that the Reformers were pointing out when they talked about to the glory of God alone. If I come to faith because of my decision, because of my ability to respond to Christ, then God shares some of his glory with us. It, it's partly me that deserves the credit because I was somehow able to respond and, and made the choice myself. We can't really say to God alone be the glory, the reformers argue. Because in addition to God's grace, my response, my choosing, my goodness, my wisdom, whatever it is, causes me to be saved. I'm contributing to God's grace and God's glory. Look at how Paul pictures what God has done for us back through chapter 2. 
verse 1. You were dead. Dead in trespasses and sins. I mean, we're still physically alive because we walked in them. Look at verse 4. But God, but God who is rich in mercy made you alive. So that in verse 8, by grace you have been saved through faith, not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not the result of work, so that no one can boast. The reformers are insisting salvation is of the Lord alone. It is his from beginning to end. Yes, I must believe. Yes, I must respond. Yes, I must repent. Yes, I must come to Christ. But for me to do any of those things, the reformers were saying, my heart first must be made alive by the sovereign, gracious, life-giving work of the Holy Spirit. I must be born again. We are like Lazarus, the reformer said, dead in the grave. And Jesus calls us out as dead people to come to him. And we come, but he gets all the glory. That's to the glory of God alone. Soli Deo Gloria, that we are saved and we belong to Christ. And probably all of us would, would agree at least with that theologically, that God alone deserves the glory for us being saved. But does my life look like God alone deserves all the glory? You know, in the Old Testament, this, this word glory in Hebrew is kavod, and it's the, it gives this image of weightiness, of heaviness, of significance. It's about what ultimately matters. It's about who we should worship and reverence and, and adore and what, what is important. And when we think about glory that way, we can see how easily we slip into living for our own glory being impressed with ourselves, living for us, right? Maybe it's what, you know, we might see as sort of a big thing, right? Like uh, we build our lives around this romantic relationship. This person's going to complete me and, and fulfill, you know, my desires. Or, or we live for achievement, possessions, positions. I mean, not all those things are necessarily bad, right? I, I mean, maybe I'm I have some big goal for my life because I want to change the world, because I, I want to be the best in my career, I want to serve the poor. But underneath it, I think if we're honest, there's, for a lot of us, for me, this desire in the middle of even those good things to be noticed, to be affirmed, to be applauded, to be recognized. One pastor says, we are all glory thieves Last week, I was out walking our dog early in the morning, and uh, I noticed the, the frost on the edges of the, the grass and the leaves. And so I took this picture uh, that they thought, oh, it's just it's this great image of God's beauty and creativity. And I was so inspired that I, I wrote this little poem, and I posted it on Facebook with this comment about how God's glory is all around it. And yeah, maybe poetry is not your thing. I mean, I get it, right, the, the cynical part of me thinks it sounds a little silly and pretentious too. But, but I liked what I wrote. So, so I wanted people to see the, the beauty of what God had made and also the, the beauty of what I had written. And, and, and I noticed throughout the next day or two how I would keep going back to check to see how many people had 
liked the status and given me a thumbs up for pointing people to God's glory. I mean, that's what it was supposed to be about, right? But it was also about, you know, wanting people to be impressed with this cool picture I'd taken. Sometimes, you know, we don't write that kind of a story for ourselves. It's not about drawing attention to ourselves. Sometimes, you know, we just check out. We live for me time, for hobbies and collectibles and social media and memes and comfort. And, and, you know, we just kind of center our lives around the the kingdom of me and, and what looks good to me. Sort of like the lady in this video. Watch this. Jesus, I am so excited today. It's like I woke up and thought, today is the day to get working for Jesus. Kat, I am so excited to find someone who's ready to take action and get things done. Oh, man, I am that girl. Exactly. Yeah. I've got something perfect for you, so let's get started. What are you doing? Uh, Stand up. Remember, we were going to take action. Yeah, but this is where I always sit. Right, but I need more than this. Oh, I know what you're getting at. Okay, Jesus, how much do you want? $50, is that enough? Oh, uh, that's not what I meant. Oh, uh, all right, well, 100 then, you know. You drive a hard bargain. (laughs) Um, Okay, but um, you might not want to cash this till next Friday, you know what I'm saying? Right. (laughs) There you go. (laughs) Okay, Okay. Kat, really, I I do think it's great that you want to give, but I want you to mentor a younger woman. Ooh, yeah, right. Well, Jesus, you know, I'm not really into, like, teaching people and stuff. I mean, I'm not, I don't really get into that. Okay, um, okay, you you know that woman at the office, Amy? Yeah. I want you to take her out to lunch. Tell her about me. Um, well, Amy is different. I mean, like, really different, you know? I know, but she needs to know about me. Mm, and I can tell the people at the church to call her. I mean, they get paid to do things like that. I want you to do that. Jesus, I just don't feel comfortable doing that. No, Kat, the problem is you're too comfortable. Sometimes it's not about drawing all the attention to ourselves, but it can be stealing glory from God by just making ourselves the center of our own small stories. Alyssa Dunker shared a great quote from uh, Paul Miller recently. The great struggle of my life is not trying to discern God's will. It's trying to discern my will and then disown it. Paul brings together all these threads that, that, that he's woven together through chapters 1 and 2 that were adopted into God's family to the praise of his glorious grace. That we are made heirs with Christ according to God's purpose to the praise of his glory. And, and he brings it together here in chapter 2, verse 10. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. We are saved by faith alone. But Luther goes on to say, it is not a faith that is alone. We are saved 
from something. We are saved from sin and judgment and, and death, but we are saved for something, Paul says. We are saved for a life that is oriented towards God. The first question in the Westminster Catechism is this. What is the chief end, the chief purpose of mankind? And the answer is, the chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. We're forgiven, we're loved, we are changed by God's grace poured out to us through His Son on the cross. We're now called to walk in the way of the cross, forgiving and loving and serving others, just as Jesus has done for us. That's what it means to, to know Him, to the praise of God's glory. The cross becomes the shape for Christ followers' lives. His self-sacrifice is lived out in us. We, we follow Jesus in saying no to our self-absorption and our self-love and our self-regard. And we become willing to trust that God knows what is best for us and that he will empower us to love others as Christ has loved us. And so he gives us a new purpose for our lives. Just as God gets all the glory in saving us, the reformers argued, so now God gets all the glory as we live for him. So at the time that we have left, I just want to make three observations, three applications about, about this passage. Imagine that you are an apprentice carpenter. You've been studying with your mentor, you grow in knowledge, you're maturing, your skills are improving, and the time comes when you are going to make a piece all on your own. It's going to be the demonstration of your skills, and when you are done with it, you will carve your initials in it, you would sign your name on the canvas, you would stamp your mark in the metalwork that you had made, so that everyone who looks at it knows, I have done this. This is a reflection of me and, and my character and my values. It will be your masterpiece to show that you are a master of what you've been studying. The, the word that Paul uses here, we are God's workmanship. It's poema. It's from a Greek root word that means to do, to make, to fashion, but it carries the idea of a special work that reflects the character, the personality of the artist. It's the root for our word, poem. But this passage is not so much about us creating masterworks. It's about us being a masterwork of God. You are God's workmanship, God's masterpiece, in a sense. We are born alienated from God, going our own way. God intervenes to save us, to rescue us, to redirect, to repurpose our lives, to make us useful and to display his work. The first thing that Paul wants us to understand is that you have gifts. You have been gifted by God for this new life that he has brought you into. And maybe it's easy for you to say, you know, I, I don't really feel like a masterpiece. 
I mean, I, I can see all the flaws, I can see the failures, I can see the weaknesses, I can see all the things that, that I'm not doing that I should be doing. Do you see what we're doing when we do that? We, we're putting ourselves in judgment over God and over what he says about us. God, God, you get a bad grade for the way that you made me because I should be something else. I should be different, I should be better, I should be smarter, I, sh- I should be something. You know, maybe it's because I, I don't know, if you're like me, sometimes I sort of wish God would just, you know, like wave a magic wand and make me everything that I'm supposed to be right now. Like what I'm ultimately going to be, man, it would be awesome if, if I were that now. But that's not what God does. That's not the way he works. He, he stamps his signature on us, not because we're good enough, not because we have it together, but because Jesus is good enough. He stamps us with his seal of ownership because of Christ. And now he's working through us to make us look more like what he's declared us to be. I am good enough because of Christ. And his mark is on me. And in that, I have gifts and passions and abilities and talents that that God has placed in me. So that my value is is not about how well I'm performing or what I've accomplished. It's not about the size of my bank account or my marital status or my race or my gender or any of it. I have value because I am God's workmanship. Other translations say his accomplishment, his masterpiece. Paul reminds us in 2 Corinthians, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. We, we have a new life that we're living out in these same old bodies. But now God is working it out with the gifts and the experiences and, and everything that he has brought into our lives. And, and that's why it's good for us to be reminded, like Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians, it's not the wealthy, it's not the wise, it's not the, somebody, the so-called somebodies of this world that God has chosen. It's, it's the nobodies. It's, I mean, who are we that, that God would do something through us? That's the whole point, you see. God purposefully chooses all who will come, but especially the people that don't have all the wisdom and the wealth and the, and the recommendation of the world so that he would be the one who gets the glory. That God could take me this humble, ordinary, everyday person and do something amazing in my life that would reflect Jesus so that he gets the glory. Because Paul is saying, as God's workmanship, now our lives reflect God's glory by the good works that we do. And those things don't just happen by accident. Our lives are not random. Paul says they are the good works which God prepared in advance or beforehand. You know, sort of like Paul has said earlier, remember, we were chosen from before the foundation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. And Paul is now saying God has good works that he has prepared in advance for us to do. In other words, God is arranging all the circumstances in your life, providing all the resources, and using everything that you are and that happens to you because he has a plan 
for all of those things. That's the second thing Paul wants us to understand here. God has a plan for everything that has happened in your life. And man, I, I need to know that, right? Because there's not just the, the broken, unsanctified parts of me that I wish were different. There, there's the ugly, broken, messed up things that have been done to me. There's the tragedies and the losses and the sorrows and the regrets and the pains that we have experienced. Paul wants us to understand God has a plan in all of those things to bring glory to himself, to grow us in the character of Christ. In fact, if we step back sometimes from, from the successes, the failures, the joys, the sorrows, the ups, the downs, all of it, a lot of times we can see it's in the hard, difficult, painful parts of our lives where God especially meets us with his grace and does a work in our spirits to develop character and perseverance and hope. God has a plan for you with your gifts, with your personalities, with your experiences to shape you in a way that would bring glory to his name because of what he alone can do through those things. That's his plan for us. God has good works for us to do, for each one of us. And you have a role in that. That's the third thing. It's not just collectively, but individually. Every one of us has a unique role and purpose in God's plan to glorify himself through our lives. So what, what are these good works that God has prepared for us to do? Well, sure, we, we can all point to things that all Christians do in common. We come together in worship. We're growing as our minds are transformed by renewing through God's word and through prayer. And, and we're part of this spiritual community where we are encouraging each other to love and follow the Lord. We glorify God by giving generously, by serving faithfully, by working for justice for the oppressed, by loving our neighbors. Certainly those are good works that God has prepared for us to do. But, but I think the meaning is broader here. Paul says, the, the works that God prepared beforehand, that we should walk in them. It's, it's this image of disciples following the master, just like Jesus' disciples followed him to observe his pattern of life so that they would be able to reproduce it themselves eventually. So that the student becomes like the teacher. So it's this image of living or engaging in a certain pattern of life that shapes us to look like the one that we're following. So that now these good works are not just, you know, special Christian ministry things, even though those are important, but now the whole of our lives are about walking in the works that God puts in front of us to the glory of his name. Could you change a diaper to the glory of God? The medieval church, you see, divided 
life into kind of two separate spheres. There's the sacred and the secular. And on the one side, there's professional holy people like priests and monks and nuns, and they dedicate their lives to serving God, and, and they're being holy and interceding and, and praying and for the sake of all the rest of us over on the other side who are working and earning a living and raising families, doing secular stuff. And the reformer said, no, no, that, that's not the picture that the Bible gives us at all. All of life is lived under the lordship of Christ for his glory. And all of it is about the works that God has given us to do, to glorify him. A few years after Luther wrote those 95 theses that, that we're celebrating this month, he gave a sermon on marriage. And he talked about how the world looks down on men who do what is considered so-called women's work. Right? Not, not a lot has changed in 500 years, right? But Luther said... A Christian husband is honoring the Lord when he serves his wife in the home because all of his work, all of his life is service to Christ. He said the angels in heaven sing to the praise of God's glory when they see a father changing a diaper. And all the women give praise to God too when that happens, right? Luther was an advocate for what we call this doctrine of vocation or calling. That, yes, we invest ourselves in, in ministries that are connected to the church and flow out of our community here. And in fact, in two weeks, we're going to have a ministry fair between our services. There's going to be an opportunity for you to get to know how you can get connected and serve with others through ministries here at Faith and, and out into the community. And, and those are all important. Those are all good. But Ephesians 2.10, Paul is wanting us to see that those good works include what I do from 9 to 5 on Monday to Friday. It includes what I do at school, how I play basketball. It's about how I serve in the community. If I'm a boss, I can glorify God in how I run my business and how I treat my employees. If I'm a parent, I can glorify God in making dinner for kids and teaching them God's truth and, and modeling grace and repentance and, and praying with them and playing with them and pointing them to God's glory. I can sell insurance. I can practice veterinary medicine. I can be a retiree. I can study math. I can do yard work. I can wash dishes to the glory of God if I'm doing it to honor Christ and serve others and love people the way Jesus would if he were living my life. The more that we see ourselves as God's masterpieces, as God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works, the more we will grow to do everything in the name of Christ, under his lordship, by his power, for his glory. Johann Sebastian Bach loved music. When he was a boy, he would break into his older brother's locked music cabinet to, to steal manuscripts out so he could copy them out by hand and learn how to play the music himself. 
He was obviously a musical prodigy. He grew to be one of the greatest organists and composers in the Baroque era. Whenever he would sit down to write a new piece of music, Bach would bow his head and pray, Jesus, help me to show your glory through the music that I write. May it bring you joy, even as it brings joy to your people. Peter Vickery is going to come and play a piece written by Johann Sebastian Bach. And as you listen, think about what it would look like for your life to make music to the glory of God.
Amen. Thanks, Peter. Yeah, Johann Sebastian Bach was, was born with some unique gifts, but, but he wasn't born the greatest organist of his time. He wasn't born a composer. He had to work. He, he had to invest himself to, to accomplish those things. And, and beyond that, Bach was widowed twice. He had, I think, 20 children, fewer than half of whom lived to adulthood. He had struggles with employers, moved from job to job because of conflict with bosses, and he knew struggle, he knew grief, he knew loss, and yet he said, with my life, with my gifts, with all of it, the sorrows, the, the triumphs, I want to live soli deo gloria, for the glory of God. What would it look like if we followed Bach's example that, that we would pray, Jesus, help me show your glory in my life. That as I go to work, as I go to school, as I live in my neighborhood, as, as I deal with siblings or kids or parents or neighbors or co-workers, that my life could bring joy to you and joy to others. That people would see your work, your life through me. Yeah, I took that land, that, that kind of useless piece of land in my yard and some wood and wire and repurposed them into something greater. But it was ultimately Amelia's plan. I was one of the tools that was used in the process of producing something sweet and nourishing and beautiful out of a piece of ground that was just lying there before. And all of those parts had, had a role to play in the process. But if you think about it, it wasn't me, it wasn't Amelia even, or Jackie that got the glory. God is the one who created the strawberry plants. God is the one who caused them to grow. God is the one who nourished our bodies through them. And yes, we were tools in the process, but hopefully we could use those gifts in a way that would point to the goodness and the joy and the love and the life of our Savior. You are a workmanship, a masterpiece uniquely created by God. Let people see God's signature, His work, His character, through you. God has given you gifts, and he has a plan, and you have a role. Live soli deo gloria, for the glory, the weightiness, the renown, the worship, the honor, the significance of God alone. Let me pray for us. God, thank you for this reminder, these reminders over these last weeks through your word. Thank you that it isn't about us, but it's about you. You are the one who is worthy of glory. And God, would you humble our hearts and amaze us and fill us with joy again to realize that we incredibly get to be part of your work, your mission that we could be used by you to bring glory to the eternal God. Forgive us for the ways that, that we are glory thieves. May our lives reflect your work and point people to you, to the glory, to the praise of your grace. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.